Today is the National Day of Prayer. How should we pray for the nation? And is it important that our elected leaders be pro-life and pro-family? We'll tell you the story of two governors and let you decide. Also, we'll ask a renowned Bible teacher why we can have confidence in the Bible. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. We are a prayerful nation. A lot of citizens draw comfort from prayer. Prayer is an important part of the lives of millions of, of Americans. That's President Bush at the White House today saying that prayer is woven into the fabric of America. It is National Day of Prayer. That's why he made this comment. these comments. Uh, President Bush also mentioned references to prayer from the Pledge of Allegiance to the Declaration of Independence and elsewhere. You can find it in the coins in our pockets. I used to carry coins. <laughs> About 10 months, I'll be carrying them again. We're going to miss President Bush uh, and his jokes when he leads, uh, leaves office. We're going to miss a lot more about him. Shirley Dobson is the national uh, director, president, coordinator, chairman, whatever, of the National Day of Prayer. She was interviewed on CBN News, and uh, she said that this is a day to pray for the nation. I was reading in Psalms that the shields of the earth belong to the Lord. So he is really our protector and our provider and our sustainer. We can have very sophisticated technology, and we do. We can have the best trained military in the world, and we do. But unless God protects a nation, uh, there is no hope. Shirley Dobson has been serving as the national chairman for the National Day of Prayer since, I think, 1990. Vanette Bright, Bill Bright's wife, started it in 88. Shirley Dobson has been a faithful leader for this event. And as I mentioned, today is the National Day of Prayer. I had the privilege today of praying on the podium at the Dallas event. It was at Fair Park, and there were seven of us on different topics praying. Mine was the media. Unfortunately, I only had four minutes, and I probably went over that because there's so much to pray about in that department. Uh, But coming up in the next segment, the Texas coordinator for the National Day of Prayer and Quest will join us. We're going to talk about what's at stake in our nation. We'll also get your input. What should we pray about on this National Day of Prayer? Well, here's an excerpt from the radio broadcast of another one of our guests today. It is little wonder Paul described God as the God of hope who fills us with joy and peace. And when that strength invades your life, you cope better. 
Recently, researchers undertook a four-year study of 942 middle-aged men, and though they were trying to determine how harmful stress is in relationship to the heart, they stumbled across something they hadn't expected, the sustaining power of hope and the detrimental forces of hopelessness which they defined as feeling like a failure or having an uncertain future. Hopelessness, they found, has a lot to do with whether or not our hearts give out. But hope keeps them beating day after day, year after year. That is Dr. Harold Sala. He's going to join us a little bit later in the program. That's from his radio broadcast guidelines. But we're going to discuss with him why there seems to be so little difference in the private lives uh, of those who claim to be Christians and those who don't. So this is going to be helpful for Christians and non-Christians. The question is, is your Christian faith from the head or from the heart? And Dr. Sala has a book about it. He will be joining us a little bit later. But first, KCBI has been emphasizing women or will be emphasizing women in the month of May. We've been kind of getting ready for this. So I want to talk to you about a couple of pretty prominent women, two governors. And, you know, first of all, there's a question that we Christians who are politically involved and active need to answer, and that is, how important is the abortion issue? How important are the social, moral, family issues in who we vote for? Now, this is not just on the presidential level, but also other offices. Are these things important to you, or is the economy or national security more important than the social issues? Give us a call on that on this National Day of Prayer, 800-881-9270. And, you know, with all this talk about the economy, I mean, it's, it is front and center in the news right now and in the presidential uh, debates uh, and with all the candidates' speak, uh, speeches. The war, of course, has also been important, and it's not front and center, but it's still something that everyone's talking about, national security, the war against terrorism. But are social conservatives still a political force? Uh, the pro-life position has always been a, a winning position, but is this important to you in the next election? Again, we are taking your calls. And here's something that happened uh, with a governor in the state of Kansas that kind of makes me, um, it's, it's helping me to feel the need to ask you this question. Uh, Kansas Governor Kathleen Sebelius, and if you'll remember, after the State of the Union address in, I think, January or February, whenever that was, she was the person who gave the Democrat response to it. And uh, she is the governor of Kansas. She vetoed a bill recently that would have strengthened restrictions on second and third term abortions in the state of Kansas. It's called, that state is called the late-term abortion capital of America. And uh, so there are pro-lifers there who are trying to restrict abortion, especially these late-term abortions. Well, Kathleen Sibelius vetoed the bill. It was called the Comprehensive Abortion Reform Act, and uh, one of the provisions of the bill would permit a woman or family members to bring legal action against a doctor who they believe has performed or is prepared to perform an illegal late-term abortion. Now, this is where you have George Tiller, who is the late-term abortionist uh, above all abortionists, and he's done thousands of those late-term abortions and partial birth abortions. The bill also mandates that an abortion provider give a woman an opportunity to view a, uh, a sonogram, an ultrasound image of her child before the abortion. And it requires the posting of a notice that a woman has a right not to be coerced into an abortion. And it also clarifies the state's parental involvement law. It's a pretty uh, common-sense pro-life law 
this governor vetoed it. They don't know whether they're going to be able to get a veto-proof majority in order to overturn her veto. That's one governor. I'll tell you about another governor in a second, but I did ask for your calls on how important are the social issues in elections, and so I'll start taking a couple of those. Let's go to Frank in Little Elm. Frank, thanks for calling. Hi, Penna. Yeah, I, I, I think this is extremely important, and I think, to me, I mean, I understand the economic issues, but, you know, Penna, we've gone through periods of recession and good times. We've had issues with immigration where, you know, we've been able to capture you know, some of the hearts of people and strengthen our borders. But, you know, the appointment of Supreme Court justices that ultimately could overturn this horrific slaughter of children because of Roe v. Wade, I think is the most compelling reason to pray, simply because that, to me, is permanent. When we, you know, appoint justices that are going to decide, you know, what I think is a potential issue that God could judge this nation on, I think that is the most worthy of prayer of anything I can possibly think of. Frank, uh, I agree with you. And, you know, this is not only the presidential race that's important with regard to judges. It's also the Senate, uh, the senators, because they have to confirm the judges and uh, really even judges here in Texas. We elect judges. And so they touch uh, the sanctity of human life. Thank you so much for your call. Let's go to Charles in Azel. Charles, thanks for calling. Yes. I just wanted to say that as far as I'm concerned, that is the main criteria. I don't care. I believe that if we do the right thing, God will take care of the money. God says, I hate innocent blood. And if, if we do, if you're doing the will of God, he's going to take care of He will take care of everything else. We don't have any other worries if we're doing his will. Charles, thank you. Really obedience. But, you know, we could make the argument, too, which uh, maybe I will get to make later in the program, that pro-family positions on things actually end up uh, making the government have to spend less money anyway. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to tell you, though, about another governor. And uh, this is just a story that came across uh, my desk, uh, oh, about 10 days ago. I was preparing to speak last week to uh, some women, uh, the women in the marketplace at Preston Wood um, Baptist Church. It was a great group. Uh, This was last week. So some of them, if they're listening, they've heard this. But uh, this just touched my heart uh, because I read the story of the governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, and uh, she is a former beauty queen. She's now the governor of Alaska, and uh, she uh, is also the mother of now five children. She gave birth to her fifth child a week ago Friday, and uh, she uh, named him Trig Paxson Van Palin, and she and her husband. So uh, this uh, pro-life governor gave birth. She's doing her part in populating the state of Alaska by doing this. Uh, But I want to read something out of the Alaska paper, the Anchorage Daily News. Uh, because uh, this is the statement that they made. Their spokesperson said, The governor and her son are healthy and resting comfortably. The baby wasn't due until May 18th. It was quite a surprise. Here's the statement the Palin uh, family issued. Trig is beautiful and already adored by us. We knew through early testing he would face special challenges. He is a Down syndrome baby. And we feel privileged that God would entrust us with this gift and allow us unspeakable joy as he entered our lives. Uh, Her statement goes on to say, We have faith that every baby is created for good purpose and has potential to make this world a better place. We are truly blessed. I thought this was very refreshing, a pro-life statement. And since 80% of 
pre-diagnosed Down syndrome babies are aborted. It's certainly a pro-life position on the part of Governor Palin. And, uh, you know, when she won her seat uh, back in November 2006, she was uh, described by Fred Barnes of Fox News as the one shining victory in which a Republican star was born. Uh, She is known in her state for cleaning up corruption and also for standing up to special interests. Uh, But I think what's really important about her is she's very, very popular. She's strongly pro-life, pro-family. Uh, and she stands up for the sanctity of life, and uh, she really did in her own personal life. That's why, uh, as KCBI begins a month of focusing on women, I wanted to focus on uh, the governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, and her principled pro-life, pro-family stance. I heard that she was even floated as a possible running mate for John McCain, and it just goes to show that somebody like Sarah Palin, who's pro-life and pro-family, can be a wonderful uh, politician and elected official in America, and we need to look for more like her. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is the National Day of Prayer. Uh, this year's theme is taken from Psalm 28.7, Prayer, America's Strength and Shield. Of course, some people are asking, how long will America have a prayer? And one of the great uh, prayer warriors of the state of Texas is going to join us next. Uh, she is Ann Quest. She's a friend of mine. She's the Texas coordinator for the National Day of Prayer. She also uh, did a lot in putting together the Dallas event, which took place at Fair Park today in the Food and Fiber Building. I had trouble finding it. I finally did. Uh, but Ann uh, Quest is going to join us uh, in the next segment. We're going to talk about what needs to be prayed about in this country, in America right now in 2008, what needs to be the focus of our prayers in America. Somebody's praying, I can feel it. Somebody's praying for me. Mighty hands are guiding to protect me from what I can't see Lord I believe Lord I believe somebody's praying for me If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu.
Somebody's praying I can feel it Somebody's praying For me Mighty hands are guiding me To protect me from what I can't see It's the National Day of Prayer that's Ricky Skaggs singing Somebody's Praying, and uh, you can download that site or hear it on the National Day of Prayer website, www.ndpf.org. And uh, it is the National Day of Prayer, and we're thinking about America today. We're thinking about our states. We're thinking about our cities. What are the types of things uh, that we can pray for, that we should be praying for? And, uh, you know, the... Uh, the chairman of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, as I said earlier, is uh, Mrs. Shirley Dobson. The important thing is to come before the Lord with a repentant heart and a humble spirit and pray for this nation. And that's what people did all over the nation today. Uh, Dr. Ravi Zacharias was this year's honorary chairman. And here in the state of Texas, uh, the coordinator for the whole state of Texas is my next guest, and she is Ann Quest. Ann, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Penna. It's very gracious of you to have me. Well, we're glad uh, that we do have you. I saw you earlier today at the event yes. here in Dallas. And, of course, uh, that event was sort of broad-based because we prayed for basically seven different areas. Uh, I know that there are lots of ways of doing the National Day of Prayer, uh, lots of creative ideas. But tell us what your vision was for Dallas and actually for Texas. Well, I believe... Um Penna, just to give you just my little background here, um, this is a new job for me this year. Right. I only took it last summer, and uh, when I was away on vacation, the Lord gave me just several things to do, and the first thing really was to become a communicator uh, and to begin to make the court help the coordinators in the state of Texas both those that were, you know, have been doing this before and trying to gather new ones so that they would feel a part. And I'm calling them, text, I'm, I'm calling them the fellowship of coordinators. And, um, and it really has expanded greatly this year, and we are excited about that. But I think the beginning was the communication. The, the second part of it, of course, was so deeply felt today in, in Dallas, where you prayed, the Holy Spirit used you in such a mighty way, way for media, uh, Penna, and I, we'll talk about that again, but I just feel like that, that the thing of it is, is we are at a point in this nation, if, this, if we do not, as his people, truly repent, truly repent, and turn from our wicked ways, recognizing that it is the church that is doing the same things as the secular world is. And so that was, my, that was really the second thing that was on my heart, is to really focus on repentance this year and then to have some, you know, find new coordinators. And so this is all doing, and, and I'm sitting, we're sitting here reading uh, just a couple of the reports of people that have already gotten back to their computer, their computer and sent in something and how well it went, whether they were large crowds or small crowds. They were anointed crowds. 
I know there were lots of different events around the Metroplex. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you a chance to call in now at 800-881-9270 and join the conversation with Ann Quest and me. Uh, first of all, telling, uh, telling us if you went to a National Prayer of, uh, Day of Prayer event uh, today, and if you did, what, was, uh, what did you pray for? What did you think was important to pray for? Again, the number is 800-881-9270. Really anything you'd like to say about the National Day of Prayer. And I went, I went back, uh, I want to go back and tell you the website again to uh, get information uh, and also that Ricky Skaggs song, Somebody's Praying. It's www.ndptf. Dot org, which is National Day of Prayer Task Force, www.ndptf.org. It's kind of, kind of some good music to have today okay, on the National Day of Prayer. Excuse me, but you can also just go write the whole thing out, nationaldayofprayer.com. Okay. And that, right. you know, if they can't remember those initials, um, those initials stand for National Day of Prayer Task Force. Okay, well, you've covered all your bases then with the websites. And you did mention repentance, and uh, you asked those of us who are praying today in Dallas to weave repentance throughout our prayer. And one of the things that struck me at the very beginning, since I was asked to pray for the media, was, you know, the media is this big word that we always blame for a lot of things, the mainstream media, et cetera. And certainly there is has been a, a stranglehold on the media, uh, but it's breaking because of all the different media outlets that we have. Have now the internet, cable, uh, television, talk radio, and uh, all kinds of different websites and things. So my one of my prayers for repentance was that as informed Christians, which many of the people who listen to this program are, we uh, we should ask God's forgiveness for blaming the media and Hollywood for things that actually we're responsible for because we're lazy, because we're apathetic, because we don't bother to find out the truth about things. And in a sense, that was probably one of the most important areas in which I thought that we should repent with regard to the media because we're part of the solution, Anne. Oh, we're absolutely part of the solution. And I think that, you know, we have a sort of have a blame game not only on the media but on the church on the government on uh business there's just we tend to i think maybe appear to be self-righteous uh to so many people who do not understand or who do not know the lord in in that type of way and and i know that personally i have to say that i have to confess that myself all the time because i um they say that uh, discernment, which I think is a, a gift that the Lord has given me, but you take it too far, and it's judgmentalism. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I have to really battle that myself. And I think many of us have to do that because we don't want to accept the responsibility, so we turn around and you know put the blame on somebody else. And I, especially in the family, especially in the family, Penna, I know that. Um, when we prayed this afternoon, and, and probably all over, the family is, um, Christian families are doing just so many things the same as the world, as families in the world. They don't have a different thing, even though they're in church and they're taking their children to church. They're still not living it before their children. 
And the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, just making the Bible real in your life and why you can trust the Bible. But Ann Quest is with me, and she is the Texas coordinator for the National Day of Prayer. And we would love to hear from you if you went to an event today or if you prayed on your own. What did you pray for? 800-881-9270. And Ann, in a sense, uh, I think people had the feeling today, at least at our event, that uh, America's on the verge of something. And, of course, we always feel that when we're on the verge of a presidential election and maybe yes. changing parties and all that. Uh, but what, you know, what are the big uh, issues right now that you're hearing from across the state that people are praying about? Well, I think that there's just no question that, that many of us are praying for, for godly wisdom because, again, whether it be through the media or through personal opinion, through whatever way it is, we are tending to just make quick judgments. And we really, uh, part of the National Day of Prayer is pray is a, a new ministry that is developing called Pray for the Election. And, um, you know, there were many of our finest leaders who said, I'm just not going to vote. But those leaders are turning around and recognizing that voting is a responsibility, that following, and just like we're to be under the authority of the government, we are to take that responsibilities, those responsibilities that we've been given. And so that's one of my main things that I am promoting and will continue to be promoting is uh, that people will really seek the Lord, really seek the Lord, asking him who they should vote for, not only for presidential, but in all these local elections, because the world starts on our, on our own street. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's one of the many things that... Uh, you, you can tell it's kind of strong yeah. in my heart and, right now. And I know this is Shirley Dobson's heart, too, because she has talked about praying the election. And this is an official National Day of Prayer uh, project. So yes. how can people find out more about it? Well, they can, again, go to the website, uh, nationaldayofprayer.org or .com or ndptf and uh, .org, and you can find this on the website. It just comes right up, and there are things rotating on the first, the home page when it comes up. So okay. sit there and look at it for a few minutes, and if, if it doesn't come right up, just scan Keep it down, waiting. and it will have a great big circle with a check mark on that circle talking about pray for the election and the red campaign. Okay. If you haven't had a, I just can really urge you people, uh, all of us, to go out and watch the video about the red campaign. Okay, Amy's in McKinney. Amy, thanks for calling in. What did you do today? What did I do today? Mm -hmm. I prayed at home by myself. Um, But I just wanted to say I really appreciate your comment, Penna, about the church being apathetic and actually being part of the problem. Um, but my my take is even a little bit further than that. I, I totally believe as a Christian that I have a responsibility to vote. But when Jesus walked the face of the earth, uh, he lived in a culture that was totally oppressed by foreign, uh, uh, foreign uh, governments. And his kingdom, he said, was not of this world. And I really think that Christians look to the government to be the answer. And the church is wow, the answer. Wow, good word. You know, and I'm, I've, I've come to the point in my life where I, I think it really doesn't matter who's in the White House. Oh, my goodness. Amy, thank you for the call. Um, 
I think you had some good words there, but I think it does matter who's in the White House. And uh, that's part of our stewardship is to try to uh, put the best person there. If the best person isn't put there, then you move on and see what God wants you to do. But thanks for that. And Ann Quest, thank you so much for all your work on the National Day of Prayer and for joining me today. Thanks so much, Tana, for the opportunity. All right, next up, Dr. Harold Sela. Somebody's praying I can feel it Somebody's praying for me A lot of believers today are praying for the nation, they're praying for their states, they're praying for their cities, and they're praying for the election. It is the National Day of Prayer, and uh, so I noticed a lot of people at the Dallas event today really putting uh, their faith on the line, praying for the nation. And I imagine these people uh, also believe that the Bible is reliable and that it has a lot of relevance uh, for our lives. If you're a Christian, here's a question for you, though. Do you have confidence in God's Word? Uh, If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection for you, The Bible says this, it says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, the Bible bears witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on behalf of his people. But again, the question is, is the Bible reliable? Well, with us to talk about this is Dr. Harold Sala. He's a well-known international speaker. He's also an author of many books. He's a Bible teacher, and uh, he is the host, founder, and president of Guidelines International. And there's a radio broadcast called Guidelines, which is a five-minute commentary on living. And Dr. Sala joins us now. Hi, Dr. Sala. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Tina, and good evening. It's nice to be able to chat with you on this special day when all over the nation we're really looking to the Lord. Well, we really are. My name is Penna, P-E-N-N-A. I know it's a very strange name, and a lot of people call me lots of different things. Uh, But I'm so glad you're with us today, and you've written a new book called Why You Can Have Confidence in the Bible. And, you know, a lot of Christians, you say— and give us some evidence for this, are living as if they don't really have that confidence. Tell us about it. You know, that is absolutely true. This was the 41st book that I have authored, but I have to tell you it is the only one that I've ever felt really compelled to write. Here is why. I've noticed in the last 10 to 15 years the divergence between what people say they believe and how they live seems to grow greater all the time. George Barnett tells us we have about the same number of divorces in the Christian community as in the secular world. You know, the Bible is revered. You find it in at least 82% of our homes. But seemingly, in so many people's lives, it doesn't affect their morality, their parenting skills, their integrity, or basically how they live. And my conviction is until people are really convinced that the Bible has been passed down from generation to generation without being corrupted... And furthermore, it contains God's message that tells us who we are, what life is about, and what happens five minutes after I die. Until we really take it seriously, it will not affect our behavior. 
Okay, we live in this very politically correct world, and I even noticed it in the news today with regard to the National Day of Prayer because there were people that were mad because it was such a Christian event, and they wanted it to be you know, a Muslim event and a Buddhist event or whatever. But um, this is what some people say in this culture, and that is that the Bible is just one of many inspired religious texts. So what's unique about the Bible? Well, first of all, I tell them there is no other book in any library in the world that has the uniqueness as this book. First of all, it's unique in its authorship. Forty men, forty individuals over a period of more than 1,600 years penned the pages of this book, and what they wrote blends together in a beautiful collage of truth. It is also unique in its structure. It is an anthology of different kinds of literature. You have poetry, you have prophecy, you have history, and it weaves together so beautifully. It's also unique in the claims that it makes. I often uh, sign a book, autograph it, and then I add Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall endure forever, and forever is a long time. It's also unique in its formation, how God used individuals to bring these 66 books together. And uh, altogether, it is unique in the way it impacts the lives of people. Okay. So I've taken all of those things, and that's the introduction to the chapters that follow in the book. And the book, again, is why you can have confidence in the Bible, bridging the distance between your heart and God's Word. And Dr. Sale, I do have a question for you, because in a sense this may play into uh, the way people look at the Bible as sort of just a book and sort of an academic, historical book. And that is, here in the state of Texas, there was a law passed in the last legislative session that uh, school districts, public schools, would have to offer a course in the Bible if there were 15 or more students who wanted this course, and that the rationale behind it was because uh, the Bible is quoted in Shakespeare, and, you know, to be an educated person, you need the Bible. Well, they had to use that rationale in order to get this passed. But what about that? Does that sort of dilute uh, the uh, Bible as sort of a living and active tool in people's lives? Well, you know, no matter how you wrap it or package it or you program it, if people will read this book, and it is a living book, it will impact their lives. And I have no question whatsoever, I don't care what the motive is behind it, you, because in this book you find out who Jesus Christ really is and what he did. And you also see the whole drama of God's love for us as individuals. So that's the starting point. And obviously I wouldn't tell people, read the book because it's a great literary book. It is that. But if they read that, they will go beyond that, and they will see that it is in truth the very Word of God. You know, a lot of people, and I'm going to be with a family member uh, coming up next week, who, uh, you know, argues that uh, you can't really trust the Bible. It's only stories. Why do you base so much of your life on what is said in the Bible? Why is it reliable? And even some people say that it's changed uh, down, the, down the centuries, down the years. So can we trust it? Well, you know, that's exactly why I wrote the book. First of all, I deal with uniqueness. The next chapter... I think is very important, and that is the manuscript evidence. That is kind of the bottom line. Uh, unlike, say, unlike, uh, say uh, some of the Greek authors and poets and so forth, we have over 5,000 biblical manuscripts. We have copies of the book of Isaiah that go back 100 B.C. And when you compare those ancient documents with the text of our Bible today, you see that it has been transmitted down through the centuries without being corrupted. Then I also talk about archaeology, 
which is fascinating, prophecy, which is very supernatural, and then how the Bible changes the lives of people. I suppose one of the most challenging chapters was how you reconcile the God of the Bible with the God of science. There are not two gods, there's only one God. But the Bible is a textbook on living, not a textbook on science. But it is really very accurate in the statements that it makes of a scientific nature. The life of all flesh is in the blood, that the world is round, very, the stars are without numbers. And the individuals who pen those, those remarkable statements were usually out of sync with their contemporaries because other people didn't believe what they wrote when they wrote it at the time. So Talk- it's a whole collage of very powerful testimonies that I think bring somebody into confrontation with the fact this book couldn't have just happened. God's Holy Spirit had to be the one who spoke through men, ordinary men, and yet they God revealed himself through these men, and this is for our prophet today. Dr. Sala, uh, you've been in ministry for many, many years, and uh, you've helped a lot of people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and also strengthen uh, their own faith. And I found just from some of the responses that we get to this radio program, of course, we're aired on Christian stations, and there's a lot of great Bible teaching on these stations, but you still get, uh, we still get a lot of listeners who have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, They may be of other faith traditions or no faith at all. And so would you, uh, here just in the final moments of our interview, just give people a reason and a rationale uh, why uh, it's important for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ? I would be happy to. First of all, this book that we call the Bible tells us that all of us were born in sin. Sin is not as much as what we do, that's the reflection of our sin, as our attitude of rebellion against God. Furthermore, it tells us that God sent his Son, and his Son paid the price of our sin. And by trusting in him, God takes his righteousness, puts it in our account, and he forgives us of our sin. He adopts us into the family of God, and you become a new person. Now, the Bible really calls this conversion. If a man be in Christ, he is a new person. The old passes away, and all things become new. So, subsequently, it is the only book in the world that tells me how I can have the assurance my sins are forgiven. You know, I often say it is as simple as A, B, C. A, we acknowledge our need. B, we believe on him whom God sent, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then C, we confess him as our Lord and Savior, which really means we agree with what God says about our lives, and also recognize there is no other way that you can come to faith in Christ apart from the old rugged cross and that old well-trod sinner's path that bows before him and says, Lord, save me. I need your help. Thank you so much, Dr. Sala. Ladies and gentlemen, heed the words of Dr. Harold Sala, and also I do recommend his book, why you can have confidence in the Bible for believers and non-believers. Dr. Sela, where can people hear your radio program? You know, I wish I could tell you, right in Dallas you can. We are on in 49 of the 50 states. What about we a website? In, yeah, we reach into more than a 1,000, into a, a 100 countries. But if they want to go to our website, they can not only hear the program, they can find out more about the book. And the website is www.guidelines.org. Dr. Sela, it's been a delight uh, having you on the program, and uh, I hope and pray for the great success of your ministry and also for this book. Thank you, Dan. It's a joy to chat with you today.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, the theme today has been our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and also prayer. It is the National Day of Prayer, and people of faith are praying specifically for the nation today. And uh, we will continue praying for the election. Of course, on this program, we throw out there the issues that are important in the election. But I think the uh, question that I have uh, for you for the next segment is, what role do Christians have in electing a president, in electing governors and senators, city council members? There are elections for city council in this area coming up next week. I think early voting is right now. There used to be a conservative coalition. Is it alive and well? Coming up next, we're going to talk about what's happening to the conservative movement. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. It would be a time when we could pray together for a world that sees the promise of the Psalms made real. Your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. That's President Bush speaking on the National Day of Prayer. He says he'd also like to see an international day of prayer. And uh, so that was his uh, one of his final statements today uh, as he spoke about the National Day of Prayer at the White House. He also issued a proclamation earlier proclaiming this day, the National Day of Prayer, and people have been celebrating it all across the nation. I would welcome a phone call or two if you did uh, go to an event. I'd love to hear uh, whether you went to the Dallas event or another event uh, around the area. But we are talking about conservatism because I just kind of want to talk about the conservative movement a little bit. We floated this idea earlier in the program about the social conservative part of conservatism. You know, we talk about the economy, we talk about the war, but what about abortion, life issues, family issues? And uh, I came across a piece by J.C. Watts, who's a former congressman from the state of Oklahoma from 1995 to 2002. He also served in leadership in the House of Rep- uh, Representatives, and he's a uh, African-American and a great conservative leader. And uh, his uh, his article was in the Review Journal at ReviewJournal.com, April 27th. And he said social conservatives are still a political force. He said when they're energized and they turn out across the country on Election Day, they are still one of the few demographics that can turn an election because they are Republican 
Democrat, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. You'll find them everywhere. They will not change their ideology for the sake of political correctness. And I wonder if they'll change it for the sake of uh, what they think is an economic message. But, you know, a lot of people are saying that the November election is going to be all about the economy. And, of course, we hear all about the mortgage mess. We hear about the falling dollar. And, of course, these rising prices uh, that we discussed yesterday, oil and food prices, these are affecting people where they live. And so social conservatives are being told by some people, especially in the Republican Party, uh, that their issues, life, marriage, and family, will not be as prominent as they were in the last election cycle. So economic conservatives who are pushing low taxes and small government policies as fixes for the economy – basically sometimes see moral issues as a distraction. And, you know, I would just have to argue that uh, that is, they go together. Social moral conservatism and economic conservatism really are going after the same goals. Now, this argument that some of these economic conservatives make is, why should I care how people conduct their personal lives? Why do I care whether they have an abortion, whether they um, have a a same-sex marriage, uh, you know, what happens behind the closed doors of their home in a free country, these people say. That's none of government's business, but it should be. Because when people deviate from the biblical model for the family, it actually gets pretty expensive for the country. And uh, recently, there's been a study about the cost of family breakdown. Uh, it was conducted by Georgia State economist Ben Scafidi, and he pegs the cost to American society of divorce and unwed parenting at $112 billion annually. That's billion with a B. Uh, one of the four groups who sponsored this study is the Institute for American Values based in New York. And the president of this group, has been a guest on this program before David Blankenhorn, wasn't surprised by these results. And this is his quote. He said, the study documents for the first time that divorce and unwed childbearing, besides being bad for children, are costing taxpayers a ton of money. Uh, Now, studies show, and we've talked about this on the program many times, that overall two-parent families are better uh, for children. They're better off economically. uh, And, of course, uh, single mothers... uh, really have a tough time often economically. Uh, And uh, these single-parent-headed homes are likely to be uh, less self-sufficient financially and to need more help from the government. Now, divorce, of course, has a, a negative effect on women's financial situation more than on men's financial situation, these studies have showed. And, of course, the children are also the ones who suffer. Um, households headed by women who were never married, and we have a lot more of those these days, are even more likely to be poor. And in many of these situations, the government, again, has to come in and pick up the pieces, providing welfare, providing more health care, providing job training, providing subsidies for child care. So I would say to you that all of this is evidence that God's plan for the family was very wise. Marriage was God's idea, as we know from Scripture, from Genesis. And history proves that type of a family where the parents are married uh, to one another and their biological children are living with them to be the best environment in which to raise children. In many ways, economics is one of them. It's not about just providing for them financially, though. Children living in the home with their married biological parents do better in every category, emotionally, academically, and physically, they end up in life 
and I'm generalizing here because there are lots of situations we know out there, but we're talking about what we need to encourage as a society. These children living with their biological parents end up normally being more productive people, less inclined to get in trouble with the law, less likely to be single parents themselves, and also less likely to end up on welfare. So you see that they become less expensive for the government, in a sense, when religious and social uh, convictions encourage people to get married, government just simply becomes less necessarily. And you, look, you can look at it the other way. When marriage becomes less important in a culture, government then has to come in and replace the family in the lives of citizens. I think we see a lot of Christians out there saying, we need help or we need to help those who are less fortunate by providing programs to help them. Well, the churches do that, but the government does it in a bigger way right now. And so what we do is we raise the size of government to come in and do the things that the family and the church should be doing and actually could do better. Economic conservatives should welcome the faith community's emphasis on marriage, on life, on family, on marriage strengthening uh, strengthening policies, because To the extent that our government can assume that most of the people in the country are going to live in strong families, our government will be smaller, and we will have to pay less of our taxes to support that government. That's why economic and social conservatism go together, and that's how we maintain a free country. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to mention tomorrow it's going to be a fun show. Uh, We love to talk about the movies sometimes on Friday. And tomorrow, uh, Ted Baer of Movie Guide is going to give a summer movie preview for us. We're going to ask him questions about what are the best movies to see for families. Why should families get out and support some of these great movies? And guess what? The Chronicles uh, of Narnia, the next movie, uh, I think it's Prince Caspian, is coming out uh, this month. And uh, he'll tell us all about that. He'll give us the scoop and the inside uh, information about it. What about the Indiana Jones movie? If you're interested in the next blockbuster, you want to tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk about that and a lot more on Jerry Johnson Live. So have a great rest of the National Day of Prayer, and we'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.